Hi, and welcome to the Seven Elements of Wellness podcast. I'm Trisha Marcus. And I'm Lacey Wall, aka L-Dub. We are the creators of the Seven Elements of Wellness lifestyle routine, dedicated to helping you feel good more than you don't. The Seven Elements of Wellness are spiritual, mental, emotional, relational, nutritional, physical, and financial. And what we found is that we're all living these elements. It's how much attention are we giving each one. Because where your attention goes, your energy flows. When you combine them all and they flow together, it's powerful. This is personal development combined with an overall wellness program. After over 15 years spent on our own health and wellness journey and trying countless practices and modalities, we discovered it's not woo-woo, it's wellness. Woo-woo. Each one of us is on our own path, and what resonates with one might not resonate with another. The purpose of this podcast is to save you time, money, and energy by bringing you the knowledge and the tools that can help empower you and meet you where you're at. It's really a journey of self-love, a foundation to help you be the best version of yourself and let go of the version of you that tells you you're not. Learning to get uncomfortable with being uncomfortable and just be. Let's go. Let's see how many days in a row we can flow. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Courtney Stoll, and here we are again. Hello, friends. Oof, so excited to be here. We are on episode 20. This is a big milestone for us. 20 episodes. You just keep getting better. You're so amazing, Court. <laughs> um, you're amazing, too. <laughs> we are all amazing. It's been an adventure. It's been a fun ride. Today is an awesome podcast. I'm so excited about today. We have Ryan Bean here. Mm. He has been such a positive influence in the Seven Elements community. Yeah, Ryan is kind of a... I would say a legend. He's like a local legend. Who doesn't know Ryan Bean, right? Yeah, I've known, I've known Ryan for a really long time. Well, I've known of him. Like like Trish said, he's been a big deal. Doing yoga, breath work, lots of different modalities. He's just, he's an amazing guy. And he used to work at Summit where I had my dance fitness class. I remember running into him one time in, in passing. We'd, we'd see each other, but we didn't ever really have conversations. And I think the first one we had together was about yoga pants. <laughs> now Lululemon. And I was like, I was like, hey, I really like your pants. And I was like, yeah, it's these certain joggers. And you know, and I was like, so that was like my first encounter and he's just he has this vibe mm-hmm. you know he just has this vibe about him um that i love that just is so chill and yeah. peaceful and and loving and kind yeah. and open we knew there was going to be a time that we would get together and connect with him and um we had a most fabulous zoom with him and wanted him to be a presenter on um, one of our element events but we also knew that we needed to experience his work first before we brought him on. And so he does Wim Hof method, right? With the ice baths. And that's something that's been on our like bucket list. However, there's been a lot of fear around it. (laughs) We did 75 hard lace and I did 75 hard program together. And phase one is you implement ice cold showers, you know, every single morning. And that's when we were like, I'm out. Good. We're good. (laughs) I did it. So I know the benefits. I know how beneficial it is. I know, you know, all the things that you hear about it. And I'm all about polar plunges. I'm really great at going and jumping in ice cold waterfalls and lakes, but I'm not sitting in it, not sitting in ice (laughs) alone with my, my thoughts for as long as you can. I just didn't like being cold. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, there's no way I, I strongly dislike the cold. So we got to go. We got to go experience it for Lace's birthday. What yeah. a gift Happy we gave. Happy birthday to me. Go sit in some ice. Yeah. Um, face all your fears. So what do you? What did you get out of it, Lace? Well, when I was done with it, it, the first thing I said was was growth. Yeah, he asked for a word from everybody. A word, and mine was growth just because I was like, a lot had happened, and I just knew it was growth. Really looking back on it now, it was really about the present moment 
because that's all you have right there is that present moment. Mm-hmm. For me, it was super empowering. Like when you get in that ice, you you lose your breath. Like it's gone <gasps> immediately, right? And you have to go inward. You have to dig deep and find your breath. And there is nothing but that moment that you are in the now yeah. in that ice. And there is nothing else. And Ryan is so good at walking you through it. And your fight or flight kicks in hard. And I remember him saying, look at this water. It's not trying to hurt you. This is just water, just your perception of what you're giving to this water. You know, this is actually good for you. (laughs) And to be able to just regulate yourself, it's through that. And then for him to look over the edge, he's at the edge of the little bath and to say, well, you guys have been in there about four minutes. So it's up to you how long you want to stay in or you can get up and go or continue to stay in. And I was like, all right, I'm good. You good? (laughs) Yeah. I didn't even know that, like I had no concept of time. I was recommended that I only do it about 30 seconds. And then it's like, what, two minutes or something that they say? It's normal for, for your like first time. Average, yeah. The average amount of time, right? So to even like hear that, that that brought on a whole new like awareness as well. And I was like four minutes. It was something. Yeah. It, it was something. Well, he touches upon the purpose of the ice bath and the cold yeah. water immersion so in this really in this that. interview. It totally goes into it. And I have been deeply afraid yeah. of doing the ice bath. You guys have been trying to get me to do it. And I just can't bring myself to do it for fear and all the things. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, after after we sat down and chatted about it, I'm kind of inspired. So I'm excited for him to share all that information with us today. He's kind of like, you know, like an app there's an app for everything it's like ryan has a vibe for everything <laughs> yeah yeah. That, yeah you know what does that make sense like he has a vibe for everything where it brings out awareness to which just reminds you like oh you're okay reminds you about the breath because once you have your breath you have your power back right and then you just breathe and practice and it's just so calming and for someone like me that's had such a journey with their nervous system their whole life it was it's it's been really it's been a blessing and i'm super grateful to to have him in our life now and to have that experience and then whether it's through Wim Hof or breathing or even just talking as a friend, I'm super grateful. Yeah. He teaches you that you got you. Yeah. And it helps you with that self-love and loving yourself and being like, I'm okay. Like the empowerment it embodies all those things. He like truly embodies all the elements. All right. Let's get into it with Ryan Bean. Ooh, let's plunge right in. Let's flow. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Ryan. Welcome. Welcome to the Seven Elements podcast. Thank you. I'm excited. I like this room. I like sitting down with you. Thanks for having me here. Very excited for you to be here. You were the presenter at our physical element. It was so, so Hmm. good. There was so much awesome information there about mindset. You brought your hand pan. I was going to ask you, I want, should have had you bring your hand pan drum. Cause um, I do have it. Do so you have it? We can probably maybe after I'll okay. bring it in and we can record some. You have the most beautiful talent of playing mm, that hand pan drum. I, I don't know. It resonates with me so much. So tell us just a little bit about you. Introduce yourself. Other than playing handpans yeah. often <laughs> and putting dogs and babies to sleep with it. That's, I do a lot of things. And normally when I get asked that question, I usually just say things like, I'm a creator because my resume tends to be really long. Over many years of, of trying new things, I've, I've been in, uh, you know, in the therapy world for a little while. And I was in before I moved to India. I was in the therapy world. I was in the Navy before that in kind of a medical role. And none of those really resonated with me. So that's why I usually say I'm a creator because I like to do things with music. I have my own podcast. I do things with meditations and breath work and yoga. But really yoga is, for me, it's a matter of creating movement and breath together and teaching that to others. So for the most part, I spend my days 
teaching yoga, breath work, and facilitating um, psychedelic integrated therapy with breath work. Uh, in addition, we have some courses online for breath work, and I have some other things that I dabble in here and there. A lot of retreats, a lot of workshops, but for the most part, I'm really just a creator and whatever comes into my experience, it's probably because I manifested it and saying, hey, I need a new opportunity. I need something to challenge me. Um, I need a new outlet for creativity. And the, my van has been that. I've been van lifing for about a year now. And it's been a, a, a place to explore not only building a space, but also like traveling and all the challenges that come with minimalism and being on dirt roads in the middle of nowhere when it's 20 degrees out and just like sort of being a creator of whatever the fire and the creator of spending my time. And, and yeah, just for the most part, um, I live very much in the moment and very much in the day and whatever comes up, comes up. Yeah. yeah I love that. So let's talk a little bit about breath work. Cause I yeah. know that's a big thing that you do and can you just simplify what is breath work? What are we doing? How did you get involved in that? Because I know that's a big part of what you do, a big focus. It is. It is. Yeah. And to simplify it, I, I don't know if I can simplify what breath work is necessarily because most people would say, well, I breathe already. Why do I need to work at it? Right. And, and part of me agrees with that, but I would also say you've probably been doing it wrong. So that's why you need to practice. We tend to, to move into our default patterns. And in the life that we live, we're completely sympathetic, dominant, fight or flight all the time where we're always stressed with something, whether it be work or home lives or whatever is stressing us. And so we tend to breathe as a reaction to our environment. So we breathe shallow in our upper chest and usually through our mouth, which is thus exacerbating this sympathetic dominance rather than saying I need to work and find balance. So let me kind of rewind a little bit where I found breath work is when I moved to India. So when I gave up on corporate world and I said, I don't know what I want to do, but I know I want to be of service. And I remember writing it down in a, in a book. I, I keep a, like a journal every day, but it usually has something called focus wheels, a little technique that was created by Abraham Hicks and a way to, to manifest your daily life. Anyway, so I started writing some things and I came up with this statement that was like, doesn't matter where I'm going to be, but I'm going to be of service. No matter what happens, that is my role. Because I was so used to working and trying to manifest my abundance through hard work. Mm -hmm. If I just work harder, longer, stronger, really what I needed was ease, peace, and my own healing so that abundance could have a space in my life. Because mm. at that point, it didn't have a space. I had plenty of money, but I didn't have abundance, abundance in friendships, relationships, and I wasn't growing my, um, my bank account. I was just simply kind of maintaining it because I was spending it all the time on random things like parties and drinking and whatever else. And so I needed to create that peace to where I could allow other things to come in. So moving to India did that. I was gone for two years and living in an ashram, working with yoga. And that's where I got my first taste of breath work. In, in yoga, they call it pranayama or, the, or that vital energy. And I learned very little breath, very little, just, a, you know, a couple little techniques here and there. But the first time I really noticed how vital the breath is to how we feel was when I got into the Ganges River. And I was in January of that year. And it's a glacier-fed river that comes through. This is, you know, way before I was teaching Wim Hof Method. Um, but I still wanted to get into the cold because they kind of do it as a, as a, we'll call it a bath or a baptism, if you will, where you get into the guts, which are the little steps that go down into the to the, the river and you have ceremony or arti and you put the cold water on you and you bathe in it, whatever. Well, 
I got in in January, this glacier fed river and got right back out. And then what I noticed is when I got out, I, well, when I was in, I did this where you hold yourself and breathe in through your mouth, <gasps> right? You do that. And part of me was really fascinated by that, even though I knew that happened, but it, because I had been studying mindfulness and meditation, I was really aware that my body was reacting to something that was outside my environment, that it wasn't internal, that the cold was causing me to gasp mm -hmm. and to hold myself. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, what does this do for me when I hold myself? What does this do? My answer was, it does nothing. It actually reminds my mind that I'm not safe. Mm. It reminds me that I'm not safe. And so then I thus am feeling not safe, which is causing me to breathe faster, which is really the beginnings of a panic attack, if you think about it. Yeah. So that was my first kind of experience with why breath was so important. Then I started to learn more. I started to, to explore some other techniques and some other uh, companies that are, are teaching breath work until I finally landed on teaching uh, through the teachings of Wim Hof. And I started learning Wim Hof method. But even then, I didn't have enough. It was really just one technique. And so I started to do other techniques and then kind of connected to my friend Jesse, who together we make a we have a collective called the Language of Breath Collective, which is us. And I think there's I think there's 12 of us now that teach through this collective. We have an app coming out, a book coming out. We just did an online summit last night. And this is kind of where we dove deeper into the the nervous system and what happens as we breathe. Um, we can talk deeper about that if that's something you're interested in. But this is what I have applied to my own style of breathwork, which we're calling ketamine breathwork, which is what I pair with psychedelic integrated therapy sessions with utilizing ketamine in an oral form, breathing to inhibit digestion, and then we guide that session. So this is through my evolution of breath, I've created my own style of breath, two styles of breathwork that um, integrate other people's techniques, but kind of puts them in together into sequences that make sense for how we want to feel. Yeah. Wow. So I know you do retreats. I know you do workshops. And one of the things I know you're very well known for, I mean, on your Instagram, I see pictures all the time of people sitting in these ice baths. Yeah. Just, I'm just going to let you tell me about that and, and what you do in those retreats with people that they literally submerge themselves in these baths of ice. And then I see you sitting near right next to them coaching them, talking them through. I know personally, for me, I would probably have a panic attack. I, I just, I haven't even been to a place where I could participate in one of these retreats because I'm just going to be honest, it terrifies me. Yeah. You're kind of making the point that I always tell people is it never gets easy. It, it's yeah. not supposed to be easy. And it's like you could have that same response with anything. I'm going to give you an example and then I will answer your question. Yeah, yeah. I was in the Denver airport coming back from Poland. I was there teaching um, in Poland. I was training with Wim Hof and we were, and I was coming back and I was in the Denver airport in the little teeny terminal to get me over to St. George, which is where the small planes are kept, you know, hidden in a corner of the world where there's no Starbucks, there's nothing there. You just, you're in this little hidden corner of the world. And I hear this lady yelling down the hallway, don't close the door. Uh, and you can hear her shuffling her feet and the, and you know, the, the bag being rolled behind her. And she was already too late. Okay. She was already too late to her plane. They'd already closed the door. And we all know that if once the door is closed, they don't reopen the darn thing. Right. So right. they said, wait, sorry, ma'am, you're going to have to wait till tomorrow. I hear this conversation happening. Now keep in mind, she was starting to breathe really heavily. <gasps> And she started to cough. 
mm-hmm. um, because it was so bad for her. And, and, and she was, you could see she was shaking. I was sitting on the bench and she's coughing and most everyone's moving away from her. You know, you just don't, when you, you cough in an airport, people don't want to be around you. Right? <laughs> right. So she, she moves, everyone's moving away from her. And the gate agent comes up to her and is like, got their mask on and I'm just sitting there and the the lady says, you need to breathe more. You need to breathe more. Come on. You need to breathe more. And she's just, (gasps) and she's like, I'm trying, I'm trying. And finally it just got to be so much. And I finally said, Hey, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a breath worker, a yogi, I'm a therapist. Can I, can I help her? Mm -hmm. Is that be okay? And the lady's like, yeah, sure. What she didn't need was more breath. She didn't need more oxygen. What she needed was to release CO2. CO2 is a stressor on the body. And as you hold it, especially as you're breathing in and out really fast through your mouth, you're not releasing the gases that we produce. Now, we need all these gases. We need NO2, which usually comes from our nose. We need O2, which comes from our planet. And then CO2 is what kind of gets produced along with ATP and some other things within the the cells. But we have to release it. Otherwise... Mm -hmm. It's stressful on the body. And then the body responds to that stress by giving you a faster heart rate. It makes your eyes like dilate. It inhibits digestion. All kinds of stuff happens because our bodies have not evolved from our caveman homo sapien days. We still think we're being chased by a saber tooth. This, this time our saber tooth is missing a flight. She thought she was going to lose her job. Her kids were going to, you know, have a horrible night. Her husband was going to leave her. She thought all these things that we manifest because our heart rates are quickened and our respiratory system is going fast. These are bottom up signals to our brain. And our brain says, what did we do last time? We freaked out. We panicked. We ran, we cried, whatever. We move into these patterns. Yeah. The reason why breath work is so important is what happened with this lady. She didn't need to breathe more. She needed to exhale more. So all I did for her, as I said, breathe in through your nose. And it was kind of like this, <laughs> you know, like a, like a small child where they, where they sniff, sniff, sniff. And then I said, hum it out. And so mm, she hums it out. And then I said, take another breath. And through your nose, we needed NO2, which is a vasodilator and, and, and a bronchodilator to get more, um, bigger pipes. Mm-hmm. And then hum it out. Mm, now that, that hum creates NO2 and it also lengthens the exhale. Within just two minutes, she was back to breathing normal and she could express herself why she had to get on the flight. And she could talk to the gate agent about making other arrangements and she could call her husband and she could do all these things. But in that moment, we believe the worst. We believe Mm -hmm. apocalypse just happened and I'm in a panic attack. Well, that's what happens when you sit in an ice bath. Okay. So any kind of cold exposure is really just a stress that is a deliberate stress. So whether like today I went out into the, to the frost cause we have frost in the morning here, mm-hmm. barefoot in my shorts and walked on the grass with, while I'm walking my dog. My dog has to go out in the morning. So I do too. Mm-hmm. People look at me like I'm nuts because it's <laughs> 30 degrees out and I'm crunching in the snow barefoot. But that is my cold exposure because my body still wants to run from that because it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. We need to learn to, to retranslate what we think is pain and suffering to discomfort and realize that we can make it through discomfort. So for her, that was uncomfortable to miss her flight in Denver. Yeah. But it wasn't painful. It shouldn't have been suffering. It was simply saying, let me take a minute to see how I feel. Mm-hmm. Breathing, feeling, going, okay, I feel a little panicked and not shaming ourselves for that. I feel a little bit stressed. But what's really happening? So when you're sitting in the ice bath, you can go, <gasps> I'm being attacked by the water. It's going to kill me. I'm going to die here. I'm going to have hypothermia. And you can say all these things that we've been taught, or you can say, I feel a little bit of stress here. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Can I sit with this? How do I sit with it? So when I'm guiding people, what I'm doing is I'm guiding their thoughts more than I am. We're not trying to imagine, Ooh, imagine it's like a hot spring. No, 
it's cold, but it's cold water and it doesn't have an agenda. It doesn't want to hurt you. It's just being what it is. Can you be what you just are and realize that it's, you're reacting. And when we can move away from being a reactor, we can become an observer and observers where the real power is, especially as it relates to things that are not a nice path. It's a hard conversation with your partner. It's a, I have to quit my job. It's a, it's, it's those, those moments where you're like, I really need to show up in a different way. And I need to work my mindset, my willpower. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you do then? What would a individual do who works with you, who sits in the ice bath, has this experience, is able to conquer that stress and that panic with your help? Yeah. But you get out of the ice bath and you have to go home and then you've got the relationship or you've got the job or whatever that's bringing that stress into your life. How do you implement that yeah. experience into into life? Because life is hard. Yeah. You know, I, we, we, we use the word integration in therapy a lot. So as I would lead someone through a psychedelic experience, there's a lot that comes in that's ineffable. It doesn't have words. It's just like a feeling. It's just this empowerment. It's whatever. And we have to integrate how to utilize that tomorrow, the next day, the next week. Yeah. Otherwise we'll go back into what we call as our default mode or our default mode network, which is as you get that arousal of whatever, whether it be cortisol or whether it be some other chemical of dopamines in your body. And then it goes through the brainstem. You have this vagus nerve stimulation that says, Ooh, we feel something. What did we do last time? And it'll go to the prefrontal cortex, uh, some of the, the dorsal laterals to basically say, what, what should we do here? Mm-hmm. Well, we ran last time and we freaked out or we cried or whatever, whatever that, that thing is. And we will go back to that. But if we don't train it, then it's going to always go back to that because that's our default mode. So as we create a new neural pathway that says, I can, I'm able, I'm worthy, I'm whole, whatever that is that we're trying to implement and instill in ourselves, that quality that we want to have, that becomes a new neural pathway. And it's usually created not in thinking hard about it, but in our emotional rise. So as we move away from our prefrontal cortex through breath work, we tend, we see in fMRIs and other scans that we're moving towards our limbic mind, which is where our amygdala, hypothalamus, hippocampus, and some other areas of the brain reside. These are really our emotional centers and our amygdala specifically is a fear responder. And so we notice as these, we get these arousals there that we're not only creating a new path to getting there, but we're also kind of training that to be our new default mode. So that new path, as we train it, becomes a chain of events that have maybe the same, same landing spot at the very end, which is it's cold, right? That's the, 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 the statement that we make, oh, it's cold. But instead of it being, I need to run, I need to hide, this is dangerous, I'm gonna die, holy crap, what's gonna happen next? Mm-hmm. It's cold. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's cold, but it's just water, but it's not going to hurt me. I'm okay. I feel my heart rate going up. I know this is my body protecting me because it loves me. It wants me to keep my core safe. That's what happens when we hold ourselves mm-hmm. is we're trying to keep our core safe. Mm-hmm. That's why it feels uncomfortable in the hands is because you're getting vasoconstriction in the, in the extremities. And it's saying, let's bring all this back to the core to keep this human alive. Once we go through that whole process and change our neural network of chain of events, we end up at the same place. It says it's cold, but we land there instead of in a place of cortisol, you know, and lots of noradrenaline, which is creating anxiety. We land there in a place of melatonin and serotonin where we're like, I'm fine. Yeah. And I have actually been in ice baths where I melt the ice. 
I've seen others who it's their first time melt the ice because they've shifted their perspective from something they think is dangerous to something they think is ultimate presence. And that's really what you feel in an ice bath is the best meditations of your life. Wow. Yeah. Just hearing you speak about being present. I'm in the water. It's cold, but it's not going to hurt me. It's not like to be even in a conversation with someone and to have that mentality. This person's not going to hurt me. I'm safe. I'm okay. Mm. Is that kind of what you start to notice is that it overlaps into some of these other experiences in your life? It takes about two minutes to change an autonomic nervous system dominance. So as, as we're getting arousal where we're feeling, okay, this thing is happening, we can't just, t- so you can take one breath, I suppose, but you really need about two minutes of particular breaths that stimulate parasympathetic dominance to calm things down. So I usually will do what I call a ratio breath. So if you feel a panic, you would do a two count in and then a four count out. It's a one to two ratio. And then as I feel okay in that, I may go three in, six out, and then I'll go four in, eight out. And depending on how long you feel the heart rate going, continue to increase it. Some people use a box breath, which I think is a pretty underrated, um, really effective tool. I have it on the back of my van. I have this QR code and it says steps to self-love happens in 20 seconds and you five count in, five count hold, five count release, and five count hold. This is a parasympathetic dominant breath that you can do at any time when you feel that way. And I think that we need to retrain our uh, society or just us, those who are listening, that it's okay to not react to saying, hmm, I see you. I know you want a response from me, whether it be a person or a thing, but to say, I need to give myself a moment here mm-hmm. because I know that if I react right now, I'm coming from a place of conditioning. Most of our thoughts and most of our reactions are about 80% of them are based upon our experiences and what we did yesterday and what we thought yesterday and the day before and the day before and the day before and the day before. And, day before. Yeah. and if we're really going to make lasting changes, we have to take a moment to say, okay, is what I'm feeling based upon what I experienced before or is this really happening? For instance, I tell this story quite a bit. Um, we can relate this to whatever. Imagine a time when you were feeling stressed, okay? But I, I relate this to two monks that are walking down by the Ganges River. Since we brought that up earlier, two monks are walking down the river and it's late at night, no moon. It's a, you know, a new moon. They're walking down and they see a snake. And they're looking at this snake and they're like, oh, snakes in India, poisonous. We don't want to mess with this snake. And between the two bridges, to go back to the ashram, is about two miles. So they're about halfway through. So they have to walk. They decide to walk back, go over the bridge, go on the other side of the river, walk over, and then come back to their ashram. Well, the next day they had to go back into town. And they walk back to the river on the side where the snake was, realize that the snake is still there. But this time with the light from the sun, it was a stick. Oh, And so their bottom-up signal that said, we're unsafe, we need to go the other way, it doesn't matter how long it takes, we're going to react because we want to protect ourselves, Mm -hmm. now became, oh, what was actually really happening here? Mm -hmm. And how often do we do that with when someone says something or they cut us off? Like, that's a pretty common example. If somebody cuts you off and you take it personally. Yeah. Like, you're cutting me off, why don't you like me? Do you not like my bumper stickers? Do you, (laughs) or, or or we'll say, that crazy person will make an assumption, right? Based on past experiences that maybe that person is nuts. But what if 
that person had a legitimate emergency and they really needed to be, you know, you were impeding their path. Does it justify it? Maybe, maybe not. But we have to also go, what's really happening here? This is what they teach in Vipassana is going, well, don't take that personally. Like that is someone else's reaction. It has nothing to do with you. What has to do with you is how you feel about their reaction. Yeah. And if you don't take it personally and say, it's my fault. Well, guess what? You've just, you just maintained your own alchemy there. You just said, well, I, you may be upset because my car is in your path and you're going to honk and wave your hands at me, but I get to choose how I feel today. Mm -hmm. Your speediness, your impatience doesn't get to take my joy today. Mm -hmm. And that's where the real change happens. And that's how we learn it. I don't know of any other way to teach that ice baths or maybe like sicking a bear on you and be like, there you go, run, <laughs> see what happens. See what happens. <laughs> yeah. I don't know another way safely to do it though. Yeah. And, and we notice it through our breath work. But we, and, and through the ice baths. And so I teach a lot of that same stuff at the, the physical element. I taught something where we did our breath in a way where the breath would actually make the heart rate go faster. If you remember, we yeah. made it go faster. And we did that on purpose because I wanted people to feel the power they have in just a few short breaths to make their heart rate change. Mm -hmm. This is something totally different. If you, took, if you were in medical school 1990s or before, uh, maybe in the early 2000s, the books didn't say we had control over our autonomic nervous system. They would say that that is an inherent function of the body. We don't have control. Mm -hmm. And through tests and studies, we've realized that we can inhibit some suppressed um, things within the, the autonomic nervous system, meaning as we feel the rise, go into parasympathetic dominance just by using our breath, which means I do this before I eat so I can digest better. I do this when I wake up in the middle of the night with insomnia and I do it in the morning. Matter of fact, before I came here to get like totally jazzed up and excited and motivated. I'm not a caffeine drinker, but I can certainly get really high on my own oxygen and yeah. get super jazzed and get like motivated and focused. Yeah. So, um, we, we use our breath as a tool not as just something that keeps us alive. Yeah. Does it take practice? Because I know, I remember you when you brought that up at the event, you asked the, the crowd, you asked the group, how are you feeling? How's everybody feeling? And there were a couple people who were like, I feel lightheaded. I feel dizzy. Mm -hmm. I have a headache. There were others who were very relaxed, but we were doing the same breath work. So does it take practice? I mean, ultimately, I we want to do it to relax, but then you talked about how it pumps you up too. So we have both sides. So the breath is not just a relaxing tool. I mean, we, we hear that calm down, take a deep breath. Yeah. Right. But what if I want my breath to support me on a hike? I don't want to relax. I want to be feel motivated. The problem what happens, we live here in the mountains, so we can kind of talk about it. As you go hiking, what happens? As you go up, up you, as you're ascending, you start to breathe a lot through your mouth, right? You're like, yeah. and that's because that's what your body thinks it needs. It need, it feels like it needs more oxygen, but it's not releasing CO2. So I have some techniques that I say, when I take people hiking big mountains, we do it in our shorts, but when we do that, especially in the winter, and some techniques that we do. Now, even while you were talking, you may not, maybe the audience will notice now, but I was breathing in and out through my nose and I was using a belly breath. And I was doing that because as we speak a lot, we're doing the same thing as what happens when we go up that mountain. Mm. The heart rate starts to go mm -hmm. fast, and then we start to feel nervous yeah. and we start to feel like maybe even paranoid there. And we we're doing that because we're speaking. Yeah. But if we just take a moment to bring in the nitric oxide from the nose, let the belly expand so the diaphragm lifts, all just doing this, even just for even four breaths brings us back into this parasympathetic dominance, which is where our focus is. This is where we can really see exactly what's happening and not make assumptions. So 
a lot of, um, if you got a Toastmasters or if you go to like Sandler training or any of these things that tell you how to speak in front of public, they're going to talk about preparing yourselves before even being on stage. And a lot of that is uh, breath work. It's going to be, hey, let's calm ourselves. But if you're, if you're coming to me like an athlete who is saying, hey, I'm a professional boxer and I've had a couple of NHL players and just people who are wanting to be better at their sport, a cyclist, and saying, well, I don't need to be more relaxed. I need to be able to, when I feel this arousal and my body wants to take the energy away into this sympathetic dominance, how do I utilize that energy? And so I teach a few techniques that, that help use the rise of dopamine, adrenaline, and cortisol in a way that is productive and reassociating it with helping uh, lengthen the stamina and all kinds of different things within their own sport. So it can definitely be done for both, both reasons. It doesn't need to be um, uh, only for relaxing. We're just so used to seeing that, right? We see the, the posters, the guys meditating, you know, and that's great and wonderful to, to have those. Yeah. But there's both sides to the story. And yeah. so we need both. We need both ways. I think what's so fascinating to me is you're speaking so much about the body, so much about the nervous system mm -hmm. and the parts of the body. And there's so much that our bodies do and how our bodies respond. And you have it figured out. <laughs> this is why I, I love I'm listening still learning. to you. <laughs> I'm still learning. But I, I, I will tell you, so when I was living in India, that we, we read a book called uh, Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. And it's kind of like the, the workbook for, for yogis. You know, when I teach the 200 and 300 hour programs here in town, we reference that book a lot along with the Bhagavad Gita. And there is a particular sutra in there. If you want to, you can look at it like a scripture or whatever, but basically it's in the first chapter. It's the second sutra. And in Sanskrit, it says yoga chitas vritti naranha, which means yoga is the calming of the whirlwind of the mind. Now yoga, they're translating it as to yoke or to unionize or to bring something together. So essentially they're saying yoga, not postures. They're saying the yoga, the physical, the spiritual, and the mental bodies are used to calm the whirlwind, which is the mind. Mm -hmm. And I, I will always hear people say, well, you just have to like stop your thoughts to meditate. And that's not true. You'll never stop that whirlwind. It is never going to stop. Mm -hmm. But what you can do is you can say, I can sit in the middle of this hurricane of a whirlwind of a storm which is my stress, which is my responsibilities, which is my traumas, which is all my triggers. I can sit in the middle of it, watch it. I can watch it and I allow it to be what it is, which is my past. Mm -hmm. And as I say, okay, there it is. I see you. I see the story that I want to tell about it. And as I feel the rise, because your body's going to want to say, ooh, I want to be a part of this, what the mind is thinking. The mind is thinking about that time when that person did me wrong and I feel upset. So it'll start to produce those chemicals. But when you can sit there and just watch it and go, ah, I see you again, begin to recognize it, allow it, maybe even investigate where it lives in your body saying, okay, I feel that in my belly and I feel my heart going faster. And I, I feel like some stress in my face and you start to say, okay, what's happening as I experience this old trigger, then you can nurture it. And just mm -hmm. saying things like, I love you. I'm listening to you body. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for reminding me that I did feel that way. And I can let that go. Now, letting go, I, you hear this a lot. Just let it go. Just let it go. <laughs> but you can't just let something go one mm -hmm. time and hope that it never comes back because that is not reality. Well, what, what really it is, there's, a, there's an author named Young Pueblo that I really love. And he talks about how when we notice tension in the mind and let it go, that's when healing can begin. Mm 
Mm. We just noticing it saying, oh, I noticed the tension in the mind yeah. and I can let it go. And maybe that's a hundred times that you have to let it go, but that's really where healing begins. I say the same thing about yoga. When you get to the place of discomfort in your posture, that's when the yoga starts. Mm-hmm. Not when you first get into the posture, Yeah. when you're holding it for 10 breaths, that's when the yoga really begins. And so that's kind of the way that I live my life anyway, like through my conversations with people and, and saying, okay, well, where are we at today? You know, mm-hmm. what do I, what am I expecting of myself today? What are you expecting of yourself? And maybe today is not the day to process this thing yeah. or talk about this thing. Um, maybe we can just kind of sit with presence here, you yeah. know, and presence really is found in us sitting in the middle of those stories that we tell. Yeah. And just being aware, kind of having that self-awareness. Sure. Now you have a podcast and yep. it's called Life as an Observer, right? which is exactly what we've been talking about today. I love that title, Life <laughs> as an Observer, because really, I mean, we're so consumed with our life, but to be present enough to observe it. Can you tell us just a little bit about why you chose that title, a little sure. bit about your podcast? Yeah. So my podcast is really about the mind-body-soul connection and knowing that, that they are a physical element. Uh, the yogis believe in five bodies. So we have our, our physical, our mental, we have our vital energy, and we also have this astral body. And they also believe in something called the Anandamaya Kosha, which is our blissful body. And we can kind of move in and out of all of them. But as we associate with our personality, which is our physical body, we tend to get a lot of lies, okay, and expectations in the world. And as we move a little bit more inward, as we move a little bit more inward, maybe into the mental state, then we're going to get even more lies. We can move into our, our vital energy, which is our heart and our breath, which is called the pranamaya kosha, and get all the way to where we think is what the anandamaya kosha is, the blissful body, is where we're really being more present with what's at our core. And for the most part, people will say that's love or source or God or whatever they want to call that inner place of bliss. Mm-hmm. And... That's kind of what I was thinking is when I'm most happy is when I'm not trying to figure out how I'm going to look that day or who I should impress and moving away from the egoic, you know, very stoic um, philosophies of, you know, I can handle anything. I I just got to work harder. Uh, No, where I start to say, okay, I can be a little bit vulnerable here and I can observe and I can not react mm-hmm. and I can show up as a responder rather than a reactor. And that's really what led it to that is I found that I was happier in a place of observation of my situation, whether they, even that, even though that was heartbreak, a lot of that, um, even if it was financial, you know, disappointments, I've had a few of those, yeah. um, whether it be, you know, relationships or relationships with family or whatever, as you see things that are that tend to influence how we show up, which create bookmarks in our experience where we go back to when we get that stimuli, right? Where that says, Ooh, what happened last time you got stood up? Oh, you cried and you got upset or whatever that was. Mm -hmm. I watched this happen really recently where I got stood up and it was, you know, about a year ago and I felt those same familiar bookmarks show up. And instead of like being, I hate the world. I hate dating. I don't want to do anything with this. I was like, I went back to that bookmark and go, well, what's really happening? Was this, was this malice? Was this someone that didn't like you? No, it was just their own experience and it was showing up in yours as a trigger. And that wouldn't have been seen as an observer if I hadn't done the work beforehand. That would show up as very much a reaction and probably anger, mm-hmm. probably sadness. Doesn't mean that you're not allowed to feel those emotions. You certainly are. Sadness and anger are great teachers, 
But when you can observe them happening and saying, what's really happening here? Was I being attacked because I, they don't like how I look? I, I remember as I was starting to age, I would feel that way. If I didn't have a date or someone said no to me, I was like, oh, it's because you don't like my beard or you don't like that I shave my head or maybe you have a, a thing with my dog or I don't know. I just, you'd make up all these stories about what you think people think. Yeah. And we all do that. Yeah. But when you're noticing you're doing that, kind of what we talked about before we went on air here about being really honest and not mm -hmm. about lying, but just really saying, okay, well, I don't, let me respect myself first and saying, okay, I'm making up a story. Mm -hmm. What's actually happening? And this is what they teach in Vipassana. If you're not familiar with Vipassana, it's a 10 day silent meditation and it's all about seeing things clearly. Mm. Yeah. What would life be like if we could just see everything clearly, right? Well, I mean, that's, you know, I'm not here to advocate any particular religion, um, but all religions sort of talk about it, mm -hmm. right? They all talk about prayer or they talk about meditation. You know, and the Buddha talked about that desire was the root of suffering, you know, and every, every religious sect has it. That's where we all have that sort of commonplace is like, well, let's let's be right here in this moment where we're really just offering it up to source, where we're really offering up creation and gratitude. And then we can move into some of the, the philosophies, which would be the 10 commandments or the yoga sutras, or we could, you know, go through the, the eightfold path, or we can do whatever, whatever religion we're following. All of them have some truth in that way, but the problem is we forget and we have to be reminded. And so that's where the breath, that's where the meditations, that's where you have to do the work. That's why it's breath work. Doing breath work, even if I just taught you one technique and you did it once, you can't say, well, I'm a breath worker now. I'm totally healed. It's a matter of seeing the tension rise in your mind and letting it go. Mm -hmm. And that's where real healing happens um, is in those moments where we say, oh, holy crap, I would have normally yelled at my kids for that. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I totally would have flipped that guy off, but I went into my tools and I did some work. And celebrating that a little bit, I think, because Heck when yeah, we get, celebrate it. Yeah, yeah. when you get to that point, it's like, oh, I, I didn't go into suffering. That's amazing for me, you know? The first ice bath you take, you may be like, get me out of here. I'm suffering. This is horrible. <laughs> I'm going to die. My fingers are going to fall off. And then you get to a point. It doesn't get easier. I will tell you that my techniques now make it so I have to get in and out several times that, so I'm getting the same stimuli or more of the same stimuli. I still look at an ice bath and go, oh, man, this is not going to be easy but I'm going to do it anyway. The, yeah. in, the, in the Wim Hof method, there's three pillars. One's breath, one's ice, and the other one is mindset. And it's really about the mindset, you know, saying, hey, let's shift how we look at this water rather mm -hmm. than thinking of it as an enemy. Why don't we think of it as a tool? Why don't we think of it as a, as a way that I can become a little bit more resilient and strong. I teach this through, through my, my retreats. We spend a lot of time on different techniques where you know, some of them are just simply being on nature walks. Some of them are painting on our, you know, our inside on our out, you know, where we'll face paint or, you know, getting into ice baths. That's great. Um, but there's other things you can do, like those who say they're not an artist and showing them ways they can create and finding new ways to express themselves, whether that be through, you know, painting or art, or maybe it's wood burning or collecting crystals or who knows what it is that you want to learn to create and make things with. The reason why people don't create though is because of fear, really. And what is fear? Like we can say, well, fear is this thing in our mind and we need to learn to adapt to it. But really when we understand what fear is, it well, actually gives us confidence. So fear is a chemical response to the unknown or to something that we think is going to 
produce a particular outcome. And this is done through the amygdala. The amygdala is in our limbic mind. It produces some chemicals, some hormones, some dopamines, and so forth that allow us to feel this thing we call fear. Well, when we say, I'm fearing failure, I'm fearing the cold, I'm fearing the disappointment, I'm fearing someone making fun of me, and where does this come from? Well, it comes from a past experience or a past statement, and my body is producing this chemical that makes me feel a certain way. Well, when we think about it too much, nothing changes. We just tend to ruminate on it, and it creates anxiety, which because the locus ceruleus will start to produce this noradrenaline that is, we'll say, complying with the fear. But when we realize that the, the amygdala actually has a termination point within the heart, it's through the peripheral nervous system, and we can tie into something called heart coherence. Now, Dr. Dodespenza talks about a, like, a lot about this, and some others talk about this heart coherence. And that's really what it is. It's saying the DNA that's within my heart that created my, my body before my mind was created has some intelligence, and this fear is something that I learned, not something that I was born with. Mm. We didn't come out of the womb thinking, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and fear relationships. Uh, you know, we didn't come out of the womb thinking that I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid. You know, babies, if you look at them, they are willing to try things until they've had a bad experience. And that becomes that default mode network that we've talked about. So yeah. I guess the goal is, is how do we remove fear? And I, I teach that through different types of breath work, in which I will, I'll share with you some ways that we can kind of tap into what's actually happening and recognize that it's fear or it's something that's actually really happening to us. So fascinating to me. Okay. How do we connect with you? If we sure. want to work with you, if we want to come to one of your retreats, your workshops, an event where we can work one-on-one with you in a group, how do right. we find you? There's lots of ways. I like to say my, my kind of repository is like is on Instagram because I use that, that platform most and it's Ryan Bean Yoga. Um, we have our languageofbreathcollective.com, which is my, the breath working site where we have our course. I'm also on Insight Timer. I teach a lot on that platform. Um, so I just released an app called Breath Source. Cool. So that's a good place on there. You can find me and click and say, contact us. Um, I have a landing page for my, all my other resources, which will, the link for that is in my bio of Instagram. So you just go there, Ryan Bean Yoga, you click the link and it has everything, including my podcast. So if you just want to go to the podcast from here, it's on all the same platforms this podcast is on. So you can go to Spotify or Apple, wherever, wherever you listen to your podcast, life as an observer, and you'll find it there. Um, it's hosted through Podbean and we have a, a patron side there. If you like, if you really like it, you can go into the patron side of it and get additional content and breath work tracks that are not released to the world that are uh, only for, you know, the paying patrons. So Wonderful. Since I have met you and you have been part of our Seven Elements community, just so many beautiful events mm. and situations that we've all been a part of. And you are such an inspiring, knowledgeable person. Thanks, and Mark. I'm so grateful for you coming and, on. And you're going to come to an ice bath soon, right? You know, I was just going to say <laughs> I'm feeling a little bit more inspired. No, I, I what I was going to say is I love the point that you made and that it's not easy and mm. it's not ever going to be easy and that you even still look at it and go, oh, that's that's not going to be easy. And I think maybe for me, I like things to be easy because that's a little bit more comfortable. <laughs> Transformation <laughs> right? is in discomfort. Right? We talked about that at the night of when we talked to physical element as that was our, we had two 
kind of quotes for me. One is transformation through discomfort and one is awareness is the foundation of all positive change. So when you're aware that it's not easy, that also takes you in a place where saying it's not easy and this is where I transform. You know, I've been in ice baths. I was out there at a place called Fire Lake and Fire Lake is usually quite nice, but in the wintertime, the geese land on it and it's freezing. And Mm. I got out there and that area of Southern Utah tends to be quite windy. And I got out there thinking, I'm going to take a 20-minute ice bath. Well, I got there, and it was so windy, and the geese were there, and it was beautiful. But I got in, and I realized immediately that 20 minutes was not going to be for me, and that I could do five minutes or something along those lines, and I would be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny. It's called Fire Lake, but they don't allow fires. And I just knew that I needed another way of warming up because it was below zero temperatures and below, sorry, below freezing temperatures. The, wa- the uh, water had ice in it. Mm. And I knew that I was going to need some extra ways of warming up after I do it mechanically. So- It's giving yourself some grace. It's Mm -hmm. saying, it's okay if I want to get out immediately. It's okay for me to feel this fear. It's okay for me to be uncomfortable. Those who are interested in learning more about ice baths, you certainly can go to wimhoffmethod.com, search me there, or just wherever you're at. I mean, I'm in Southern Utah, but I travel throughout the Intermountain West. Um, But those who are interested, I'm in Vegas a lot. I'm down in Southern California a lot and up into Idaho and whatnot. But um, going to that that bio, I have a, a bunch of my retreats. I think I have four planned in 2023 so far. And normally that those build up and I have like one a month at least. So Okay, yeah. I'm inspired. <laughs> so you want to do some breath work? Yes. So I brought in the handpan, which is kind of nice for, um, as kind of a guide rhythmically. Um, I'll just do just a couple of minutes here. as sort of a um, an awareness exercise that has to do with our breath. Okay. So um, the only caution that I would say is if anyone's driving while listening to this, maybe pull over. You can do it while driving. It's not going to be anything that's, t- but I think I would, would love everyone to maybe try to think about closing their eyes and being a little bit more inward thinking. Um, But if you don't have that as an availability, you can certainly still listen and still be aware of what's happening. So if you're not driving or you can pull over, I would recommend doing that. So I'm just going to start by playing here. And as you hear the hand pan, sometimes it creates already just a, a place of ease, just hearing the sounds of it. Nothing, um too active in the way of breath, but I'd like everyone to just start to breathe in and out through their nasal breath way, their nose. And as you breathe in and out through your nose, we're creating this dominance with the longer exhale of the parasympathetic nervous system. So I'll start to give you a count here in a minute, but I want you to think about, I'm breathing in through my nose and I'm sending this down to my belly. Not that the belly has a lung, but it has a diaphragm that needs to lift and creates a vacuum or a compression within the the respiratory system. And as you breathe in this way, maybe just noticing what's happening. Am I breathing deep? Am I breathing shallow? Am I breathing into my collarbone or am I breathing into my belly? And not shaming yourself for whatever it is or what you think you're supposed to be doing, but what's actually happening. I'm going to start to give a little bit of technique around this so we can kind of tie this in. And I'm going to offer the the box breath using this mechanics here. As you breathe in through your nose and out through your nose. On your next breath, begin to inflate the belly. Let the ribs expand. Let the heart lift. And then releasing maybe with a sound like this. 
Taking the next breath as you breathe in through your nose, the belly expands, the heart lifts. And you release with a sound like this. Moving into our next breath, breathing in for a count of five, four, three, two, one. Now hold. Five, four, three, two, one. Now releasing. Five, four, three, two, one. Now hold. Two, three, four, five. Breathe in, belly ribs and heart lift. Now holding at the top. Five, four, three, two, one. Now releasing. Five, four, three, two, and holding at the bottom. Five, four, three, two, one. Last one. Breathing in. Five counts all the way to the top. Expand the belly, the ribs, and the heart. Holding at the top. Now releasing. Five, four, three, two, and holding at the bottom. All of us take a giant breath in all the way to the top. Holding at the top. Draw awareness to your head. And release with a sound like this. Taking another breath all the way to the top. Holding at the top. All the way up there, squeezing up towards the head. Just noticing what becomes active, what becomes your awareness and where your head is at. And then releasing with that sound all the way down. Now, before you open your eyes or make any changes, notice what came up, if anything, maybe an emotion of calm or peace, maybe that of satisfaction or gratitude. Whatever it is that came up, allow it to be there. Maybe it's, I need to work on this more. I need to feel like this more often. And if that's the case, we have given you some resources for you to be able to work on that and to find ways to move into wellness, to wholeness, through the physical element, the spiritual element, all different ways that you can work on yourself to show up honest, to recognize fear as something that happens to you, not something that you are. As you're ready, coming back into your experience of the body, maybe with small movements or blinking the eyes open, And arriving back. Mm. Thank you so much. That was beautiful. Welcome. What a beautiful gift. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Any final thoughts? I have so many thoughts. Let's just be real. I have so much, so many thoughts. And I, I, I think something that's been really on my mind lately is creating routine and in ways to apply all these things. So it's a lot of people may go, well, that's great, Ryan, but I have kids, I have a job. I, when am I actually going to get a chance to do any of this stuff? And I would tell you through like through my insight timer specifically, I have a lot of meditations and, and, and breath work tracks on there. Some of them are as short as 10 minutes. What I would recommend, especially for the parents of the world is do it before you get out of bed. When I was teaching in the university, I taught a mindfulness course. And one of the things I told them is don't look at your phone before 9 a.m. and not after 9 p.m. That is the first thing that you could do because by doing that, you wake up sometimes in a bad momentum. You wake up looking at a text message or an email that sets your morning in that tone. 
Let's start it with momentum. So for me, when I wake up, first thing is I think of three things that I'm grateful for. That's it. Just I'm laying in my bed. I'm like, ooh, this pillow. Ooh, the sunlight. My dog's pretty awesome. And I would do three things. And then what I do is I do my breath work right in bed. But just simply saying, that's what I'm going to do. First thing when I wake up to create momentum around my day. And then you can start to build these other routines. And I do that through coaching. If people want to learn good morning routines or have better habits, they can contact me. But really just saying, I'm going to wake up grateful and I'm going to do one thing that promotes momentum in my day rather than takes me away from what's actually happening. Breathwork is something you can do and have the same limbic functions as a 10,000 hour meditator, somebody who drops in like a monk who drops in and goes, I'm into this place of creation within my mind. You can do that on your first time doing breath work. Mm, Wonderful. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. This has been such a fun journey with you. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Hey, we would love to connect with you. We believe that community and relationships are a vital element. And when you're doing the work, sometimes it can feel lonely. It doesn't have to be. You can join us on our Seven Elements of Wellness private Facebook group. This is a group where you'll get ideas, be able to ask questions, and find the support of a like-minded community. You can also find us on Instagram at Seven Elements of Wellness. This is where you'll find out about upcoming events, look for inspiration, motivational quotes, and a lot of shares. Make sure to check out our website at 7elementsofwellness.com. Here you can learn more about our mission and connect with our sponsors. You can purchase merchandise and get the latest on local and live streamed events. Are you guys down for a challenge? We got you covered. Head over to the website for all your challenge info, purchase a lifestyle kit, or download your free checklist. If you'd like to create your own seven elements of wellness community where you live, reach out to us. We'd love to help you get it started. The Seven Elements of Wellness podcast is created and produced entirely by volunteers who are passionate about sharing this message and assisting you on your journey to feel good more than you don't. If you would like to contribute to helping us continue to bring amazing content through this podcast and community events, we would love your support. You can find us on Venmo under our business account at Life Integrated. Any donation is so greatly appreciated and we thank you so much.